K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend just keeps on coming with this little ditty that reached up to 21 in May of 1970. The George Baker selection, Little Green Bag. Because you're a faggot, all right? <laughs> Funny, eh? A bunch of bank robbers squabbling not over their share of money that they have yet to rob, but over the meaning of their names. So you might ask yourself, what's the significance of a name? Well, there are few directors who are so significant their names have become adjectives. Hitchcock, Godard, Bunuel, Fellini. And to that list, you could add Quentin Tarantino. Which is odd, because the other directors I mentioned were pioneers, wholly and completely original. Their stories, themes and techniques were so unique that the directors stood almost as genres onto themselves. Yet, I don't think you could say the same thing about Tarantino. That is not a criticism, but a simple truth. Tarantino himself makes no bones about his films being variations on, homages to and rip-offs of other films. And in the two decades since the release of Reservoir Dogs, it has become increasingly evident that the initial observation of Tarantino is the enduring and valid one. He began by referencing other films, and with his second film, Pulp Fiction, he began referencing his own films. So much so that Tarantino cinema is not really a cinema, so much as it is a hall of mirrors, endlessly reflecting back to Tarantino the thing that enthralls him the most. I'm a big fan of uh, action and violence in cinema. I always said that almost as if it was one of the reasons Thomas Edison invented the camera was to film violence, right? Because it's so good. Um, and, uh, uh, and the genres that I'm attracted to tend to be genres that deal freely in that kind of stuff. And so, uh, and to me, it's, you know, if you were to take a, you know, a bunch of, you know, different, you know, classic movies, you know, say from the 60s or 70s, you know, that have, or even the 50s and even the 40s that have, you know, uh, uh, that have action and violence in it, then it's, you know, those are the scenes that I want to see. Those are, the, those are the greatest hits. If they were an album, those would be the hits, <laughs> are those violent sequences. And I just think that's just a really cinematic thing to do, and it really affects audiences in a big way. You know you're watching a movie. And that has to be done well, because if you don't do it well, then it actually has no effect. Now, we are often told that Tarantino is a singular talent, what the French call un auteur. As the writer and director of his own pictures, his films reflect his personality. But ever since his first feature film, Tarantino was blessed with a crucial but quiet collaborator, the editor Sally Menke. Sally Menke graduated from NYU with a degree in behavioural psychology and then began cutting documentaries for CBS television and then later edited the kids' movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Then she got a call for Reservoir Dogs, and all the way through to Inglorious Bastards, Menke edited every single one of Tarantino's pictures, along the way receiving nominations for two Oscars, three BAFTAs, and two American Society of Editors awards. Then, in September 2010, while hiking with her dog in Hollywood's Griffith Park, she succumbed to the greatest heat wave ever recorded in Los Angeles and died. She was 56. Tarantino had purposely selected her for Reservoir Dogs because he said... When I was doing my first movie, the only thing I knew is I wanted a female editor because I just felt a female editor would be more nurturing to the movie 
and to me. They wouldn't try to be winning their way just to win their way, all right? They wouldn't be trying to shove their agenda or win their battles with me. Here is Sally Menke herself speaking of their working method. It's all foretelling the story. And all you want to do is get the person emotionally invested in the story. So it becomes this invisible craft. In the beginning, he really doesn't guide me. And then I put together what I think he wants. And pretty much we've worked together so long I can judge what he would want. We do that for eight months, so intense. I see him more than my husband. We work very intensely together, and it's kind of amazing that we still like each other. <laughs> if I was with my husband that long, I don't think I'd like him that much. Reservoir Dogs premiered at the Sundance Film Festival 20 years ago this month. Yet, oddly, despite what Hollywood may claim, the film did not fare all that well in the United States. It grossed in just $2.8 million and few critics liked it. Instead, its acclaim came from this side of the Atlantic. In the UK and Ireland, it took in the equivalent of $9.6 million. If you were not around for its release, it's hard to imagine the impact it had. I can't think of a single film from a first-time director that has so electrified audiences. Remember, this was at a time when independent cinema very rarely pushed outside its own small theatres. But Reservoir Dogs broke out into multiplexes and seeing the film with a mainstream audience for the first time was a ferocious experience. None of us had heard or seen anything like it before. Not just the violence and not just the way Tarantino used music. It was the verbal fury. Above all else, it was the dialogue that floored me and undoubtedly it was the dialogue that attracted so many actors to the project. For me, the film lives because of the performances. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, Chris Penn and Steve Buscemi make each scene, every exchange, crackle with fear. You said yourself you thought about taking him out. Fucking said that. Yeah, I did, okay? I did. But that was then. Right now, this guy is the only one I completely trust. It's fucking homicidal to be working with the cops. You taking his side? No! Fuck sides, man! What we need here is a little solidarity! Somebody's sticking a red hot poker up our ass. I want to know whose name's on the handle. I've always been perplexed when people describe these men as cool. Their barely bridled aggression proves that they are anything but cool. What they are is compelling, the very fuel in the film's firing engine. And what propels the film even faster is its structure. Told in a non-linear fashion, it is suddenly and forever switching gears, throttling us between comedy and carnage. And it is that push and pull momentum that provides thrilling uncertainty as to what will happen next or what has already happened. Although non-linear narratives are nothing new, Tarantino handled his with such ease and panache, you sensed it was not just the best, but the only way to tell the story. Straighten out the timelines and surely the film would not work. In fact, proof that it wouldn't work like that can be found in the film from which Tarantino shamelessly stole. It's from Hong Kong, it's called City on Fire, and while it is not without merit, Tarantino's film is an example of a film talent not only being unleashed, but immediately entering into a state of delirium that he is doing what he has long dreamt of. But since we're talking about similarities, you might want to watch a movie from 1955. It's directed by Stanley Kubrick and it's called The Killing, and yes, it's about a heist that goes wrong. But more importantly, it too has a fractured timeline. It's terrific stuff, and it too announced Kubrick as a director to watch. Reservoir Dogs certainly did the same for Tarantino, but I don't think he's made a film as tight and as disciplined since. And so, with the tragic loss of Sally Menke, I'm curious, if not a little trepidatious, as to see how Tarantino fares without her. Now